The world economy has no easy way out of the mire. February the twenty-third, twenty ten. Anybody who looks carefully at the world economy will recognise that a degree of monetary and fiscal stimulus, unprecedented in peacetime, is all that is prodding it along, not only in high-income countries, but also in big emerging ones. The conventional wisdom is that it will also be possible to manage a smooth exit. Nothing seems less likely, so let us consider the end game instead. We must start from the reverse side of the stimulus coin. The private sector is now spending far less than its aggregate income. Forecasts in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development's latest economic outlook imply that in six of its members. The Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden, Japan, the UK, and Ireland. The private sector will run a surplus of income over spending greater than ten percent of gross domestic product this year. Another thirteen will have private surpluses of between five percent and ten percent of GDP. The latter includes the US with seven point three percent. The eurozone private surplus will be six point seven percent of GDP, and that of the OECD as a whole seven point four percent. Moreover, the shift in the private sector balance between two thousand and seven and two thousand and ten is forecast to exceed ten percent of GDP in no fewer than eight OECD member countries. It is also forecast to exceed five percent of GDP in another eight. In the U.S., it is forecast to be 9.6 percent of GDP. In the eurozone, it is forecast at 5.5 percent of GDP, and in the OECD as a whole, at 7.3 percent. Depression threatened. Note that such huge shifts towards frugality will have occurred despite the unprecedented monetary loosening. While the latter helped prevent a still greater collapse in private spending, the huge fiscal deficits, largely the result of automatic stabilizers, have been no less important. If governments had tried to close fiscal deficits as they attempted to do in the 1930s, we would surely be in another Great Depression. So, how do we exit? To answer this question, we need to agree on how we entered. A big part of the answer is that a series of bubbles helped keep the world economy driving forward over the past three decades. Behind these, however, lay a credit super bubble, which burst in two thousand and eight. That is why private spending imploded, and fiscal deficits exploded. William White, former chief economist of the Bank for International Settlements, is a leading proponent of the view that monetary policy errors, particularly by the Federal Reserve, have driven the world economy along. Richard Duncan offers a similar but even more radical critique in his thought-provoking new book, *The Corruption of Capitalism*. At the 75th birthday conference of the Reserve Bank of India this month, Mr. White gave a lucid version of his critique. With inflation kept down by supply shocks, inflation targeting central banks kept interest rates too low too long. The result, he argued, was a series of imbalances not dissimilar to those in the U.S. in the 1920s and Japan in the 1980s. 
In particular, with a real interest rate well below the rate of growth of economies, the expansion of credit was effectively unconstrained, and debt duly exploded upwards. Mr. White pointed to four imbalances asset price bubbles, notably of stocks in the 1990s and houses in the 2000s. The explosion of the balance sheet of the financial sector and increases in its exposure to risk. What Austrian school economists dub malinvestment, soaring consumption of durables in high-income countries and booming construction of housing and shopping malls in countries such as the US and of export-oriented factories in China. And finally, the trade imbalances, with capital pouring into the US and other high-spending countries. I do not agree that monetary policy mistakes were responsible for all of this, but they surely played a role. In any case, all this had to end. Now, after the implosion, we witness extraordinary rescue efforts. So what happens next? We can identify two obvious alternatives, success and failure. By success, I mean reignition of the credit engine in high-income deficit countries. So private sector spending surges anew, fiscal deficits then shrink, and the economy appears to be going back to normal at last. By failure, I mean that the deleveraging continues, private spending fails to pick up with any real vigour, and fiscal deficits remain far bigger for far longer than almost anybody now dares to imagine. This would be post-bubble Japan, but on a far wider scale. Unhappily, the result of what I call success would probably be a still bigger financial crisis in future, while the results of what I call failure will be that the fiscal rope would run out even though reaching its end might take longer than worrywarts now fear. Yet the big point is that either outcome ultimately leads us to a sovereign debt crisis. And this in turn would surely result in defaults, probably via inflation. In essence, stretched balance sheets threaten mass private sector bankruptcy and a depression, or sovereign bankruptcy and inflation, or some combination of the two. I can envisage two ways by which the world might grow out of its debt overhangs without such a collapse. A surge in private and public investment in the deficit countries or a surge in demand from the emerging countries. Under the former, high future income would make today's borrowing sustainable. Under the latter, the savings generated by the deleveraging private sectors of deficit countries would flow naturally into increased investment in high-return, high-growth emerging countries. Yet exploiting such opportunities would involve radical rethinking. In countries like the UK and US, there would be high fiscal deficits over an extended period, but also a matching willingness to promote investment. Meanwhile, high-income countries would have to engage urgently with emerging countries to discuss reforms to global finance aimed at facilitating a sustained net flow of funds from the former to the latter. Unfortunately, nobody is seized of such a radical post-crisis agenda. Most people hope instead that the world will go back to being the way it was. It will not, and should not. The essential ingredient of a successful exit is instead to use the huge surpluses of the private sector to fund higher investment, both public and private, across the world. 
China is unique in needing higher consumption instead. Let us not repeat past errors. Let us not hope that a credit-fueled consumption binge will save us. Let us invest in the future instead.